Hi, and welcome to Still Loading, a podcast dedicated to exploring leadership for the digital age. My name is Ilona Brannan, and I am your host for this exploration and adventure. I have been fascinated by us humans and how we develop and the interplay with technology for over 20 years now, and I am so excited to be here with you. Leadership is a huge topic, which is so important to be able to create a future world that we want to be part of. And if you are someone who leads an organization, team, project, or simply looking to develop yourself, then this is the podcast for you. So strap on in, get set, and let's disrupt the leadership space to create better leaders for all of us. Now that's definitely worth listening to. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Still Loading Podcast. I am delighted today to welcome my guest, Suzanne Murdoch, who is actually a fantastic entrepreneur, a really interesting woman, and I had such a great time getting to know her and inviting her onto the podcast today. Now, the Hub Newry is a co-working space in Newry, and Suzanne's going to take us through how she went through her journey of setting this up and the things that she's learned from this experience. But Suzanne, can you tell us a little bit more about how you got into this sort of thing? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Delighted to be here. So I'll set the scene. So back in 2009, my husband and I, he's from Ireland originally, moved back to Ireland with our little boy. We were building a house. And my husband was running a business at the time. So he ended up working from a porter cabin, which wasn't ideal. And I didn't really know anyone. I didn't even understand the accents here. So I realized that I quickly needed to meet some new faces and understand the lay of the land here and do something with my time as well. Because I've been working with him a bit, but I knew I wanted to do something more. So we were lucky to get an office in central Newry. And we've been seeing the co-working concepts, I guess, across Europe and thought, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe we'll give this a go. We had a big office. The two of us were rattling around. So gradually, I tried to educate people around this whole co-working concept, which in Northern Ireland was very, very new. I think we were one of the first two to set up. And gradually, slowly but surely, we had a videographer, an architect join us. And then St. Coleman's co-working space was born. To start with, it was one big open plan office. And then we renovated as the businesses grew, or office spaces, meeting rooms. It did so well, really that the businesses grew to such an extent we did another one. So they had more room to grow. So that was more private co-working spaces. So they had their own private offices. And then as we partnered up with other flex or co-working spaces at the time, operators throughout Europe, we realized that the model was evolving so quickly that you really needed different types of spaces to work through the, the days and depending on your personality or the projects that you were doing. So for instance, some people love working in a cafe at times during the day, others like meeting rooms or desks or private offices. And we really wanted to find somewhere that we could put all of that under one roof. And the other thing was garden space as well. Outdoor spaces were getting really big for creativity and energy. So we were lucky that we opened up our third space in Margaret Street back in 2018. And that had a roof garden, a cafe, cinema, private office spaces, hot desking, all under one roof. So that did really, really well. And at the same time, we were very much partnering up with other global spaces. So getting involved in the leading edge best practice. That's where we are now, really. And obviously, in between then and now, COVID has hit. And we've gone through a few more evolutions. I think that's amazing to kind of understand how office space this seemingly innocuous thing it's just somewhere where you go to work but actually it evolves with a business and with the businesses you work with and I love that idea that it's almost like a living entity of the physical space that you need in order to 
grow your business, develop your ideas, connect with people. And the whole thing around the garden about energy, I just thought that was really interesting because you need that too. I mean, Absolutely. I working by the river and found that was amazing to just go for a walk along the River Thames. So I'm in London, in the River Thames. And when I didn't have it, I missed it. And I didn't realise that was an addition to my, my office space that I had sort of had as a bonus prize, but didn't realise it gave me so much energy to recharge through the working day. Yeah, and I think just having different people around you, the different businesses, you know, you ping ideas off of each other. And even through lockdown, when we weren't necessarily really allowed to talk to each other, just knowing that there was someone in the office next door gave you that bit of comfort and the spark to keep going. That's really wonderful. What have you seen change in particular over the last 18 months with the pandemic? Because I know that this in particular has been an interesting challenge, I would say, for anyone with office space, right? Yeah, and it's changed two or three times during that whole COVID period, certainly with the different lockdowns. And I think key for us would be our location because we're right on the border between Belfast and Dublin. So typically before COVID, our member mix would have been made up very much of local people who were entrepreneurs, digital type freelancers, website developers. We had quite a cluster of building consultants as well, so architects, QSs, quite local people with a say 20 mile radius, but More so through COVID, we were finding people who typically would be based in the Republic of Ireland in the south who would have commuted to London for a UK employer couldn't do that anymore. So they still had to have a UK base. So they were using us as their UK base and actually commuting quite a way each day to do that because their their jobs were essential. They still need to have an office base. And the people who historically would have been with us could work from home. So there's been quite a a flip in the type of member mix that we now have. And as a result of that, the requirements that they have in terms of infrastructure, for example, have changed as well. So they've wanted more private office space. So we've had to renovate for that. Meeting rooms obviously weren't really used. So we've taken a couple of our meeting rooms and turned them into more office space. But you still have to be aware that, you know, you have to plan forward and meeting space is still a huge requirement. So it's just making everything as flexible as possible, really. The garden area was still a big requirement. And then for us, the whole Brexit side of things has changed stuff as well Mm -hmm. through the last few years. I think the other big thing that we noticed was the community element that was previously a massive part of co-working to some extent has fallen away. People still want it, but you can't necessarily have that. We certainly couldn't have it in the last 18 months. Yeah. the whole social distancing and the capacity side of things so you've had to connect and look at the people side of the business from a different perspective yeah and what, what have you done to keep the community alive and going during this time so there was a lot of online networking and coffees and that sort of thing and I think communications is keeping those communications consistent and phone calls because different people were coming back into the offices and then others were staying working from home and things were a lot more hybrid it was more half half yeah, it's just keeping on top and, and understanding what people need, what will make them feel comfortable. And the other big thing is technology. Through the whole of this, it's become apparent that it's the no-touch entry systems and that sort of thing, and just all of the other things that we've done. So there's a lot more virtual access. Printing, for example, the end user can do all of that themselves. It's a lot more productive for the end user as well. Because there's less friction to do the tasks that you need to get done, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And it can be done in a more speedy way as well. They can do things when when they want. They can come and go as they want. You know, there's a lot less manual 
intervention needed from our end. So that helps. It helps both users, really. Have you seen working patterns change at all? Like, because everything is so much more flexible now. Yeah, people seem to be coming in earlier. Hmm. Certainly the corporates will come in earlier and leave. Mind you, a lot of them work long hours, but a lot of them would also work the, the different time zones. So that it depends on the industry that they're in. But yeah, I think more people are working maybe three days in the office and two days from home. Yeah, There is a lot more flexibility. So the whole hybrid thing is really coming to the forefront now. It seems to be that the working day is kind of stretched and it doesn't mean you're working all the hours in the working day or the, the longer working days, so say like eight till seven, but you're just picking up bits and then doing other bits around that day. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, again, it depends on if they're working for somebody else or they're working for themselves. And we're definitely seeing more use of the meeting rooms again now. I think people need those different environments during the day and the, the cafe, for example. So no, it's interesting. People's working days are very, very different. And it seems to be that the hub newry has to respond to almost like behavioural changes in people. I mean, sometimes it's put upon you from restrictions from a government basis and a pandemic basis, but essentially as people evolve and change, regardless of the stimuli that makes that happen, you then respond to be like, we'll provide you with this. Yeah. And, and I think the key thing now is it's all about choice. That is the new thing. And people know that they can demand the choice because there are more and more spaces opening up. But for us, it's all about anticipating the needs of the members and really staying on top and getting to know them to understand what they what they need now and what they're going to need going forward mm-hmm. and anticipate the challenges as well, rather than just reacting to them when they happen. How do you maintain that communication with your members then? Well, I'm, I'm based there. More often than not, obviously, we see each other face to face quite a bit. And if I haven't seen them, I'll check in with them, just check everything's okay. What do they need? But also the other thing is staying very much on top of leading edge practice and what's happening around the UK, Europe, etc. So being in touch with other operators and the the guys, the suppliers who provide the technology side of things for flex spaces. I think that's a really valuable asset, right? Connected to all these other co-working spaces across Europe and the world to actually keep leading edge practice in your in your own um, co-working space. Like, how do you all connect to each other? How does that all, all work? Because it's it was, a, it was a new revelation to me when I realised, oh, that makes sense. Of course, everyone's talking to each other, but it's like co-working spaces and making friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're making friends, but it's funny because it works two ways. So you're making friends with the other operators. The members of, of all the different spaces have got that bigger network it's not necessarily direct communications but you know that if one of your members needs something or they need to talk to someone that you can hook them them up or ask if the other operators know anyone so I guess over the last 10 years different industry bodies so we had co-working island for example so we all we would all hook up and then there's GCUC which is more of a global co-working body and they have seminars of get-togethers so we can all we all stay in touch that way and then there's the European co-working assembly as well so there's there's quite a few different ones and then we've just joined Lexa who's the UK trading body for flex spaces it just shows you the the difference right like 10 years ago when you had the foresight to think I'm going to do this co-working space because I need it for this area and now it's it's almost you know that's the way it's going to be I mean what do you think might be happening, say, like in Newry specifically? Because it's, you know, a fairly small sort of area, right? Like in terms of population yeah. and, and 
I can imagine a co-working space is super valuable in a place like that to connect with your local network. So what do you yeah. think the future holds for Newry and, and other small places like that? Well, it's interesting you see other small places because the trends we're seeing, funny, I was just at the, the Flexa conference um, a few weeks ago, and it's very much what you call hub and spoke. Mm-hmm. So the co-working operators are moving more and more towards the suburbs, rural areas, it's more opening up. But there's still that need for the ones in the city, the likes of London or so say you work in a team and they'll allow team members to work from home maybe a couple of days a week or their local co-working space. There'll still be that need for the city or the the head office location hub for them to meet up for get togethers or I don't know, recruitment drives or training, for example. So there's still the need for both. But I think it's very much for the suburbs, very much about placemaking as well. And for the local people to feel that there is a hub there, it's not just all about the bricks and mortar, it's about the people side of life as well. And that whole work, I hate saying work-life balancing, but it really is because you need to, you're at work more than you see your family. So you need to get it right. It's about making sure that the whole infrastructure side of things is is there as well. The transport side, placemaking is, is a massive thing at the moment. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about placemaking because it might not be a term that everyone knows in, in the context of this conversation. Yeah, so when you, you've got placemaking, so there's a lot of regeneration schemes, for example, going mm-hmm. on in big cities, so Birmingham, King's Cross St Pancras, and it's all about the, well, I guess, the experience side of things and having as much as you can everything under one roof. So as I say, you've got the bricks and mortar, the physical workspace, the infrastructure, the experiences, the outdoor space, if you can get that or as close nearby as you can the connectivity say theatres coffee shops just getting everything as close together as you can so that people can make those connections and have those experiences and the other thing Lona is there's more and more need to bring residential back into the cities as well wow tell me more about that (laughs) so that's another thing that these regeneration schemes are trying to do and they've worked really really well in the likes of London and Cambridge is another area where they're redeveloping so trying to bring residential in to reuse the empty commercial spaces, especially in the last 18 months, so they can really bring that vibe back into the city spaces. But I think more now it's happening in the towns as well. You know, even thinking just off the top of my head about like the regeneration of high streets, you know, as they sort of changed and declined, you can then actually reimagine them with this kind of co-working, working, residential all together. And the whole community and the connection side of things. I mean, people have no idea of the skill sets in their local area and who they could be connected with. And then maybe twinning. You know, when you grew up at school, your school generally twinned in another school. Having that concept. Now, I don't know if this is happening, but maybe twinning with another similar sort of town throughout Europe. I don't know whether we can do that anymore with Brexit. But making those sorts of connections and just making life a whole lot richer. Oh, you just reminded me of flashbacks to like primary school or something or like, you know, in your little town, because obviously in London, that's where I grew up, your borough would be linked to um, potentially some little market town in Belgium. (laughs) I know, I went to Minden in Germany, did a a one week stay there with a German family. I had a brilliant time. Yeah, I I think that's really interesting. It's it's almost thinking about how to reimagine connecting and facilitating that connection in new ways in this sort of digital era. Back in the day, it was, I suppose, a civic connection, right? It was the town hall of that place and the town hall of this place, and they connected. Because yeah. you see it on the signs, right, when you're travelling around to Windwidder. Now it might be through 
co-working hubs and this whole you know different way of kind of imagining that absolutely yeah I'd like to be twinned with somewhere in Brazil (laughs) (laughs) you can't go there for a weekend can you no I can't I can't but somewhere warm for sure like so I can get out of London and the rain for a bit (laughs) what have people missed and what do they want now that you've seen from your co-working spaces what have they missed well they have missed the community element Mm. for sure and to some extent we can give them that more so now but again because the member mix has changed elements of the community have changed and what you know what a corporate remote worker might need from a flex space is very different from what an entrepreneur might need so again it's it's getting that understanding of how they are what they're looking for and how we can help them but it's constantly it's constantly evolving yeah they've missed not being able to use all of the elements of our offerings so the meeting rooms for example we used to rent them out externally we can't do that anymore because of the whole COVID thing. And to be honest, we wouldn't feel that comfortable doing that. And I think because we've got less capacity now, we wouldn't have the capacity to rent them out externally. So we've changed our offerings to try and reflect what our members need in the hope that they haven't missed too much. But events would be another one. We used to do quite a few events and restrictions are still in place here. So Interesting, yeah. I know a client of mine went to a conference in the Netherlands recently. Things are opening up, but it's totally dependent on where you are. Yeah. What do people want right now? What are you seeing like this week that people want that you've been asked for? Well, a lot of it is actually technology. So the ability to do things quickly to turn, you know, I don't need to be there all the time. And if I'm not there, yes, things obviously go wrong. That's life, but they need to be fixed pronto. The thing I've seen the most is the commodities are now time, productivity and energy. And Mm -hmm. that's never going to change. And the other thing, people are demanding more and more is choice because they know they can get it do you think sometimes there's a paradox of choice though when people have too many things to choose from they don't know where to sort of where's the end of it definitely and I think more so with the the employers so they've got a team that they say we can right go out and you can remote work now some of them won't be able to work from home so they need to find the right flex co-working space but they don't know what they're looking for Mm. and if that employer doesn't understand the needs of the individual then they're going to bung them in the wrong completely the wrong space so they won't have the right infrastructure for their role they won't be the right personality fit so the other thing we have to be very vigilant of is education so that the, the employers really understand what your flex space offers what it's about who the audience is for that space and then just co-working in general you know what's it about what can it offer and signposting them to the right sorts of spaces I think that's an amazing point that you made because I think most people would be like, yeah, yeah, just find somewhere. Not realising that actually it's probably a bit like dating. You have to find the right one for you that fits. Yeah, and it's probably fine for a month or so and then you realise, mm, I can't <laughs> stay here long term. This is just not working. <laughs> We've all been there, yes. No, I can imagine. Yeah. What do you think the future trends of workplaces are then? I mean, I think hybrid totally is here to stay, but I wonder yeah. what... The extrapolation is, I mean, I suppose we talked about it a bit with this twinning thing, but what else do you think might be a future trend to be aware of? Well, I mentioned the hub and spoke wheel. So definitely there's more and more operators going to be opening up in the more rural town areas. You've got the very small, not necessarily co-working spaces, but you've got working from home and maybe people working from cafes, hotels. You've then got the middle of the road hubs, maybe towns, and then you've got the, the central more lifestyle experience bigger operators in the in the cities so that's going to be growing more and more the need for more and more technology 
So touchless integration, because the operators aren't always manning the desk, so to speak. The choice, people need more and more choice. And I think the education, we're going to be seeing more and more education into what Flex can bring. Maybe more account relationship management. So working more with employers and helping them place, a bit like you have in recruitments. You know, they work, they account manage and they, they work with the employers to find the right spaces for, their, for the individuals within their teams. I think that's an amazing opportunity. And then partnering up more and more, partnering up with other, other operators so that you can give that bigger opportunity and, and the more choices and signposting to different spaces. I also wonder if there's a, an opportunity to have multi-location hub and spoke. So you could almost do some work, you know, say in like London or in the rural areas, like in my example, but also then maybe go and work in Berlin and then work. Yeah, oh, yeah there is. There's that already. I mean, we partner up with a couple of spaces. Uh, okay. We partner up with a space in Dublin right now. So that opportunity. And then I know that other co-working spaces partner with others throughout Europe globally. There is already that opportunity. It's not necessarily set in some rigid contract, but there is talk of doing more of that sort of thing. Yeah. The other thought that came to mind the other day was, you know how like the travel experience before was you went to a hostel, like when you were younger, just to at least meet other people, right? Because a hotel can be quite just you and the hotel, right? That's your experience. I wonder if there's going to be almost like hostel type living where you have your room, but you also have a co-working experience within that hostel. That's a really interesting point you made there. Up until now, there hasn't been that much partnering in terms of industry, but in the last couple of, well, maybe, maybe yeah, pre, pre-COVID, you could see the hospitality industry using the whole co-working concept more and more and partnering up there is that opportunity and then the other thing that's co have you heard of co-living mm-hmm. yeah so that's yeah it's a similar sort of concept and I know that when I've been to the European Assembly meetups there's been co-working spaces from Bali and Australia coming over and I don't know their whole space just seems like one long holiday it's, it's an interesting idea right because then you can that digital nomad concept you can then travel and work and do the things you need to do as long as you've got connectivity the co-living I think is really interesting because the, the thought came to me because I was in a hotel at the weekend and I was like I would work overseas but I'd want to not actually be in a hostel like my days of hostel living are done like I can't do it like I can barely camp right but <laughs> If I could be in a comfortable living situation, but the thing that I wouldn't want to do is go to a hotel and be insulated by me and just the hotel experience. I'd want to go and meet other people who are working in whatever field they're working in and have that connection and we can chat and share ideas. So I feel like there could be some opportunity there too. Yeah, no, that's a really good idea. I shall bring that to the table The other bit that I obviously where we cross over is this kind of leadership for the digital age concept, because if your people are technically anywhere or they're in a rural hub or they're in a a hub overseas that's twinned with something or in Bali in a massive co-living space, as a leader, there's a lot of challenges within that understanding of how the working world's going to be and what skills are going to be required. So what do you think the challenges are for leaders at the moment with this remote working and the kind of trends we're seeing? Yeah, so that's an interesting one because I've been trying to put together an online course to help that very area. So you've got big corporates, you've got medium-sized 
teams or maybe business owners with 10 to 15 people and they're all trying to remote work but what is remote working it can mean so many different things to different people and yet it's about really understanding the individuals within your team and what they require as individuals but also for their role and how to best do their role so you could have a corporate say with an HR function who have very different requirements from the marketing function or the IT department IT and HR are going to be on Zoom a hell of a lot I presume and need very very strong connectivity and infrastructure whereas another team might just need to be in the right sort of working zone for them as individuals. So it's really it's really understanding what they need. And the other big thing is how can you really keep that company culture? Mm. How can you communicate and keep that consistency going? So there's lots of different interesting elements. Yeah. As a leader individually, how do you remain connected to your team? How do you actually lead them and guide them? when you're not there face to face and they can't, you know, just tap you on the shoulder and be like, hey, I've got this question or this. Because you you might have all the tools like Slack or, or any other communication tool, but it's not quite the same no. as being with someone. I think it very much comes down to right from the start, when you take those people on board, you've got your company culture, your values, your goals, and those people that you take on have to be able to match. You have to be looking at their core values as well and who they are as people and do they fit the values and goals of your company and then from a personal point of view I think it's very much about checking in for yourself as the business owner do you where you're going is that still aligned with the goals and the values of the company and then checking in with your team members and are they still aligned as well and are they okay you know what do they need So it's not necessarily about using Zoom all the time. I think Mm -hmm. it's more about having that authentic connection with them as people and even just picking up the phone and seeing what they need and keeping that consistent. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think the consistency and connection, and that doesn't mean the internet connection, it means how do you connect to that person and understand what they need so that you can build a great team culture as well. Like something I've seen work really well in the past when we were working in a remote team during the height of the pandemic, we had a WhatsApp group and it was for nothing other than dog pictures. Do you know what I mean? Like there were 146 dog pictures by the total end because we did like a Christmas quiz about how many dog pictures have been sent. <laughs> and we had to guess and so we worked out 146. But also it was things like, you know, I'm out with my family, I'm doing this thing, this is me like, a, you know, the Tower of London or something. So you could just sort of stay somewhat connected to your team in an informal way. Yeah, it is difficult, Alona, in that when you're doing that from a personal point of view, not necessarily just all business focused, people use different platforms. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't always work, but, you know, you have to you have to give it a shot. You do. And with the culture thing, I mean, I'm fascinated by culture. I think it can really make or break a company. And I think culture is becoming quite a important facet in a especially in a more remote working world because it is such an intangible thing but it exists and so how do you facilitate and maintain a culture remotely what have you seen some leaders do really well about that yeah I mean there's different elements to that as well it's from the the bricks and mortar side of things so you've got the whole branding the side they want their signage up weekly meetings check-ins one of the um fascinating things I find is how and I've had this question thrown at me before how do you stop a co-working space 
infiltrating the company culture of the corporate remote worker? <laughs> well, surely there's an element of both here. They know who they're working for. They're working for them, I don't know, eight, nine hours a day at least. So that culture is going to come through, whatever. And then the co-working spaces culture is going to come in. But I think that's actually going to enrich both ways. It's going to expand that culture. You've got more diverse elements coming through. It's difficult for me to say, how have I seen the culture being worked? Because it's quite a private thing. Yeah. But yeah, it is down to the, the infrastructure, a lot of it. Actually, the way some of them talk, the language that some of them use, just mm-hmm. because of the, the work that they do. I know when I worked for Lloyd's TSB, I worked for the corporate banking and almost like indoctrination. It was my first job. You knew nothing else. You were surrounded by the same people who were saying the same sort of things, going to the same places. Yeah, I, I just think culture is re- really interesting because I think especially in a remote context or like a disparate workforce as well, like in different locations, you might be working, you know, eight, nine hours together on Zoom or, you know, remotely, but to make the values and all those things align, there's going to be a greater need for HR to be recruiting the right talent and to actually be asking the right questions. And I think also uh, an emphasis for leaders to describe and articulate those values and embody them when they're working with people. Yeah, and they absolutely have to spell that out from yeah. the get-go. Yeah. And keep keep checking in and making sure that people understand what those values are. Because I feel like in a physical workspace, you can almost be like they're assumed, but you yeah. have to be very specific and say, this is what we're doing and this is what this means for the culture. But then there's that whole debate going on at the moment of who's going to come back into the offices and for how many days, especially for new starters, you know, how can you recruit new starters and induct them and get them to understand the whole company culture if from day one they're at home? From my perspective, I don't think you can 100%. I'm sure you can do maybe 50, 60%, but you're never going to get that whole correct grounding that you would do face-to-face. So I think that that brings back the need for the whole hybrid working, that people do all still need to meet up once a week, once a month. For, for a bare minimum amount of time mm, and potentially when you're onboarding new people actually have more touch points that you meet yeah. them in the first say 90 days just plan that in that they're kind of coming into more things and being yeah. intentional with that yeah no I think that's really interesting so let's talk a little bit about your own leadership journey because I always think this is a wonderful exploration with my guests who is one leader who has inspired you and why when you say leader, for me, I automatically think people in, in my life, not necessarily bosses that I've had. So for me, I absolutely love horticulture. So it'd be more people that have influenced me. So Monty Don would be my big guru. Amazing. And Lucy Worsley, because I'm really into my history. She's the chief curator for the historic royal palaces. Oh, I think I've seen her on BBC talking about the world. Very animated. Yeah. No, absolutely. And how how have they influenced you? What is it about their qualities that you found so inspiring? I think they're themselves. They don't do what's expected. They know what they're good at. They stick at what they're good at. And they don't try and evolve from that. And they seem to absolutely thrive on on doing what they love their whole faces come alive you can really see that and, and they ooze passion for what they do and that I don't know I just soak that up yeah you can tell with both of them Monty Don and uh, 
the lady who does the passes, that when the cameras are off, they're still doing that. They're still yeah. doing those things. They're like, it doesn't stop. We're just catching them at that moment, right? We, we know that, you know, she's still wandering around the palaces going, ooh, and, and <laughs> going to loads of gardens all around the world being like, oh my goodness, look at this one, you know? But they're lovely people. You know, you want to be with them. I just, I don't know, I get the impression they could be completely different, but they take the time to get to know you as well and really understand the person. But no, I've seen, I've seen Monty John in person and he's like, he's a gentleman. Ah, well, we love those. We love gentlemen, of course. We need more of those in the world. Yeah. And I think these are great qualities for leaders to have now, right? So that authenticity, but genuine authenticity. And I think passion for what you do is vital and especially if we're in a hybrid working situation, because you need to be able to communicate your passion about the topic that you're talking about to someone. Yeah. And that's and empathy a, as well. Yeah. A big one for me. Yeah, I think that's right. Because you're never going to be able to get someone to get enthusiastic about what it is you're doing unless you are. Mm. You always have to be over the top about it, especially because you're remote, you know. <laughs> But I think the other thing is not so much with Lucy Worsley because she's very historical character, but it's staying on top of your industry as well and the new things coming coming out, um, leading edge practices, for example, and how things are evolving and educating people around those as well, not just what you know. Yeah. You can yeah. keep on learning with them. And the, the thing I always find interesting about these questions is what what it says is these are qualities that you think are really important and they're probably things you embody. So like with the leading edge stuff, it's like, that's what you're doing for the hub Newry all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Staying on top of what you're passionate about. But what's important for me is they, you know, they do what they love. And for me, it's really important to work with people that I'm aligned to and that mm-hmm. get what I'm about because I know I can help them. Otherwise, what's the point? You're, you're just like this the whole time and you might want to help someone, but you just can't because you don't get them. You don't understand what they're talking about. And then that's just going to lead to frustration. I think that's what the opportunity is presenting itself at the moment for people to really align with what matters to them so they can like feel that sense of fulfillment with their work. My observation aside, how would you describe your leadership? Because you must lead a team, right, at the moment? Well, actually, no, I don't. So my secret is I do what I'm good at and what I know well. I work with people that I like working with and the bits that I don't do so well or I don't necessarily enjoy and I know I'm not going to thrive, I would outsource to experts. And it's not necessarily how I've worked all along. We did have a team before COVID, but obviously through COVID things weren't very easy. So it was just me. And then now we have to outsourcing to the people for elements of the business that really understand and know, know what they're doing. So, for example, podcasting, I have a podcast powering productivity, but I'm absolutely useless at editing it. So I would outsource that element of things. Finance is outsourced. I can't do everything by myself, but I want it to be done well. Mm-hmm. And I want to spend my time working with members and helping them and providing them with the best offerings that I can do. So that's how. And then obviously... The other things I'd spend my time doing is partnering up with other operators so that I understand new leading edge practices coming in. I guess through working with different mentors over the years, it's understanding that you can't do everything and that you have to be kind to yourself and take time for yourself as well. And that energy is massive. You know, I have to have, I have to have my batteries fully charged and in order to keep that going, you have to take time out for yourself as well. Which isn't always done, but I try and do it. 
How do you recharge then? You may, I mean, you've got gorgeous countryside near where you are. That's one thing that would definitely recharge me. But how do you? Yeah. Out in my garden. And then, yeah, we've, we're lucky we've got the countryside. And then I love history. So anything history I'll get involved in. Kids, cooking. Yeah, no, cooking is great. I've, that sort of saved me during the pandemic, learning how to cook better and more refined cooking. So I went definitely into a lovely, beautiful cooking experience um, during the pandemic, which, which was really useful because it was nice to focus on something that was quite nutritious as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love spending time with my family, but that wasn't possible during COVID. So yeah. I didn't see them for a year. So yeah, you have to find different outlets, I guess. Yeah. But we're here, we're still standing. Yay, we are, we are. So finally, what are your three top tips for leaders sort of thinking about the future of workplace now? I think if you're going to be a new operators, um, leaders in workspaces, I think you have to really listen to others and really research before you go ahead because things are just constantly changing. And it's not just about bricks and mortar. It's really about the whole people side of the business, the whole culture. And really understanding that whole 360 element of flex working now. Anticipating the challenges and opportunities that are going to be coming up and really understanding the audience that you're working with and constantly talking to them. Because if you're not in tune with, with them, you're going to come a cropper. And know your audience as well. Understand who you like working with because you're going to be working with them an awful lot of time. Yeah, so you might as well enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Suzanne. This has been such a great illuminating conversation for me. The world of co-working and hub spaces and all the rest of it has just been absolutely brilliant for me to learn about and to think about how that influences leaders for the digital age. Where can people find out more about you and what, what work you do? Yep. So the website is thehubnuri.com, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, nuri.com. And then the Powering Productivity podcast is also on the website. Right. And I'm doing an online course on trying to find the right remote working spaces for you and your team as well. But you can find information all about on the, on the website there. Absolutely. And please do contact Suzanne for your consulting needs around the future of the workspace. She knows her staff. She is leading edge. She loves it. And she'll also help you with your gardening. Yeah, <laughs> <So> absolutely. <laughs> do contact her. And the links will be in the podcast below. But thank you so much for today. It's been an absolutely brilliant conversation. And uh, I hope one day to come out and see you. Brilliant. Thanks, Lona. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to help support this podcast, please share it with others. Share it with your friends, your family, your colleagues, anyone you think who might benefit from listening. Post about it on social media as well or leave a rating and review. And please subscribe to catch all the latest updates and episodes. You can also find us on Instagram at Still Loading Podcast. Thanks and I'll see you next time. Bye.